0: These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old.
1: Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood industry insider and the casual viewer.
0: This is Alec, and I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Cinema A to B podcast. Hey, everybody! Welcome to Cinema A to B, a movie talking podcast with myself, Alec, and with Ben. Um, and today, we're doing something a lot. Very fun. We both just recently watched Oppenheimer, the 2023 Christopher Nolan film, and we couldn't wait to talk about it. So instead of a weekend, we decided to meet on a weekday and discuss this movie because, well, we were texting back and forth constantly and trying to talk about it, but not talk about it. So I'm just going to shut up. And Ben, let's get into it, buddy. Let's do this.
1: Let's get into it. So first, um, how did I see it? I saw it in... uh IMAX, but it wasn't the film. It was uh, 4K, a single laser projection. Brutal, and and I say that in the best possible way. I don't know where this ranks in in his filmography. I, it feels it feels complete. It feels realized. We are going to attempt to to place spoiler free on this today, if possible, just because it is mm-hmm. brand new. Okay, so this can never be my favorite Nolan film, in it, but I think that has to be. Stated because of the subject matter. And the best way I can, I've been thinking about this for what? I saw it Saturday, today's Wednesday, so several, several days. And I knew it was a great film because every day that I woke up uh following seeing it, I was continuing to think about it. And so I knew mm-hmm. right then and there that it was great. Um I think people might be expecting. Saving Private Ryan from Oppenheimer and the film is more Schindler's List. It would be the best analogy that I could give without spoiling the movie. And so it's it's tremendous. It's great, but it it's it's hitting a different tone entirely.
0: Definitely much more of a character study as opposed to a action or the focus is much more on obviously Oppenheimer than anything he did. Yeah. So yeah, I can, I can, I can yeah, agree I with that.
1: You'll see some people kind of complaining. I think it's a vocal minority um, that we're expecting a film centered around the Trinity test. And the source material would have indicated long ago with American Prometheus, the book that that's just not what this is. The, the movie's about the man, not the, not the Manhattan project the Manhattan projects featured heavily because that's what he's known for. But this is a, this is a full, this is Nolan's first true character study. The closest he's come before would be memento and then elements of the prestige. So it's exactly what I kind of predicted, which is this, this would be heavy, heavy character study. And that's what we got, but it's, it's devastatingly tremendous. That's kind of a, that's kind of the word of the day for me with this movie is is that it's that it is ultimately pretty devastating to watch, but that doesn't it doesn't mean it's not good.
0: So I saw it Sunday. Also saw it IMAX, but the IMAX I saw it was the dual Xenon 2K um, projectors, so non-laser, but still was fantastic. The sound was overwhelming. Like there are points where Laura was putting hands over our ears cause it was so loud. And I loved that. Um, the sound itself, I was talking with my buddy who, who saw it with us and he was saying almost like the sound was its own character. And a lot of, a lot of, not just the music, like the actual, just sound of this movie. Um, obviously the Trinity test was definitely where it kind of culminated, but like throughout the entire movie, a lot of that sound design, whoever did the sound design was absolutely a great job. I will say, while I loved the IMAX performance of it, I didn't get the same feeling I did when watching The Dark Knight of just that gasp of when it would go full IMAX picture as opposed to the – I mean, there were moments where it was good, but it definitely – I mean, I remember – vividly when it switched to that huge shot of them blowing out the window in the dark night and then, you know, roping across basically. And I was just like overwhelmed or when the Joker's driving through downtown Gotham in the cop car and just it's that big widescreen, like, like those are visceral moments that will stay with me for the rest of my life. And which is again, one of the reasons why the dark Knight's my favorite Nolan film, Um, this didn't hit those points. It didn't have I don't know how to describe it. It was, it was still good. Like I could definitely tell when the screen went big, when when not. And there's been a couple of times that I've watched IMAX films that did that, where I couldn't tell you which scenes were actually IMAX scenes and which scenes were regular, you know, letterboxed. I could do that with this movie, but it didn't have the overpowering sense or feel that the Dark Knight had. So not again, this is not really a discredit to to Oppenheimer, but if you're not able to see this in IMAX, then I would say it's not as big of a loss as say something like the dark.
1: True. And, and I agree, but I also think you are, you're seeing the disparity between 70 millimeter IMAX film and a dual 2k xenon projection. I I think, I think there were moments that would have hit differently had you been able to see it in its original film format, but it's, but you're right. The, the, style of movie doesn't lend itself as much to, to that, but I can't, I can't truly say that because I didn't see it in 70 millimeter film IMAX either. I would have had to drive to, uh, to Dallas to do it. And believe me, I was tempted, but have, after having seen it, a very good 4k laser IMAX presentation here. Yeah. I, I know Nolan wanted to hype up, the importance of seeing it in kind of the master format, but of his recent movies, this is the—I would say this is the one least necessary to see in IMAX. A, mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's yeah. a lot of close-ups. It's a lot of Great. close-ups of faces. Um, there are some some really beautiful vistas and other material that that would work well in the large format, but. I think now the sound, sa- the sound, I could make a good argument to try to see it in IMAX. Cause I agree with you. The sound design, this feels like the most fully realized sound design in a Nolan film. I think I've seen, mm-hmm. um, there's some things occurring here that are, that largely would have been relegated to more experimental films, stuff I saw in film school of like that, that weren't yeah. mainstream movies on how to use sound to, to manipulate the viewer basically. And he, he uses those here to great effect. There's several moments that two in particular um, that I won't give away that the, the sound design is just as important as the visual. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so I, it's, it's, it's masterfully done from the sound mix. I also want to give, a lot of credit to the edit because this is a three hour movie that didn't feel like three hours to me. I I felt like I was in the theater for about two hours when the credits came up, the thing moves at a breakneck speed and it can be a lot to keep up with because characters talk a lot. It's, it's a very talky Nolan movie and I could see where some people might have a kind of, have a hard time keeping up. Um, so yeah, if you can't, if you can't get into an IMAX, frankly, I think a Dolby cinema would be just as good just because the speaker placement's so good. Um, it wasn't mixed for that Atmos stuff, but the speaker placement in AMC's Dolby cinemas is really, really good. They've got subwoofers underneath you. And, and and in fact, I'm going to try to go see it again. And that's the format I'm going to go see it in a second time is going to be in a Dolby just, just for something different.
0: Yeah, I'm planning on seeing it again, but I'm going to go to the Air and Space Museum, which has the dual 4K laser projectors, uh, the IMAX.
1: Because you're going to get the full format then. You're going to get the 143.
0: Close to the 70 millimeter. Yeah. Going on what you said. I mean, I will say, even if you can't see it in IMAX or even Dolby Cinema, go see this in the theater. This is one of those movies where... You're going to watch, I mean, even though it's a lot of close-ups, there's a lot of people talking, there's something about, I think, seeing on the big screen that you're going to get something, something that emotional sense that you're not going to get on your 65 inch TV, you know, or whatever size TV that you have. Um, the sound is going to be so much better, even in, without having IMAX or Dolby Cinema, you're still going to get this much. And that is so poignant and part of this movie that this is why you go to the theater to yeah. see certain movies.
1: I I agree with you with the theatrical and it, th- that I wouldn't get hung up on, on exactly where that is just to make sure your, your local theater, whatever that is, that the, that the theater cares about the sound quality because this, this mm. feels yeah. more reliant on sound than it does even the image. And the image is fantastic. It really is.
0: Yeah. Yes. But oh. this
1: the sound is is extremely important. The music score is is unlike anything I think I've ever heard. It's very different. Yeah, it, very different. And there's a couple tracks that that I just love. There's an in the first third is a montage, and the the title track is "Can You Hear the Music?" and it runs yeah. about two minutes and. My only complaint is that it's only two minutes because the montage that runs, the, <laughs> and I won't say what the footage is, but the montage that runs over that track, it's probably my favorite moment in the whole movie. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just felt, oh, wow. I just, I think it was because it was early on and that was kind of the first moment where, you know, I'm just big on when the the dialogue goes away and the scores rise and I get hit with beautiful imagery. I'm a sucker for that. That's why I mm-hmm. like Terrence Malick, because <laughs> that's what Malick does. He just lets right. imagery play that with music. It's, yeah, and so, and this, yeah. frankly, this movie in some ways feels like a Terrence Malick film. In a lot of ways, it really does. I I think it's the closest, yes. Nolan and Nolan adores to Terrence Malick film. Like he does. No,
0: he. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He do- no, he does. He does. No, I I don't love Terrence Malick no, I nearly know. as much as I you know. do. Like, Thin Red Line, absolutely love. The rest of his stuff, I've gone to, like, eh, hit or miss. um, But I will say, like, yes, the shot selection, the DP did a fantastic job, especially of you know, some of the Trinity stuff. Like, everything is just put together so well. I don't want to call this a masterpiece, I think it needs to marinate. Uh, yet, like I need to see it and sit it. It needs to marinate. But I'm going to tell you, like I, after, when the credits started rolling, I was just blown away, and I used that that pun intended. But the I just sat there and was just like, "What did I just watch?" I am exhausted because I'm going to tell you one thing. I don't know how he did it, but there are. It's all just basically. Climactic build through like multiple climactic builds throughout the, the movie. Like it's just like 10 scene after 10 scene. And then you'll have a short little scene where it's like, ah, okay, I can take a breath. And then it's immediately like, I, I just felt like we, we were building all the time and then we'd hit a point and we'd have a quick moment of calm and then we just build again. And it was like, like all I can just remember, this just tense of everything happening so fast and just this, like the music coming in, the sound design, the acting, the cuts, like it just felt this constant like up, quick down, that back up, and then quick down, and back up, and just I was exhausted. I mean, but it was like a good exhausted. Like, what did I just watch? This was it is a, it is a taxing amazing.
1: film um, emotionally, psychologically. Mm-hmm. It is it is mm-hmm. it is his most taxing film in his filmography, and that's yeah. that's probably why I liken it to to Schindler's List. I. I would never make the argument that it's as dark as Schindler's list. Um but it it's no. it's exhausting in the same way that that Schindler's list is. It 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 forces you into an uncomfortable position. And that's probably why I can't there's no way I can say this is going to be my favorite Nolan film, but that doesn't mean that in a couple weeks or months that I end up kind of reluctantly maybe saying that it's his best film. I, you know, I certainly on the award mm. circuit come next you know March or February and for the Academy Awards the Oscar committee is going to award this as his I don't I don't know if he's going to win best picture still but I th- I think he's got all but got best director locked in the bag with this.
0: Yes, I absolutely agree. I think I also Killian Murphy I think gets best actor. I said I walked away going this is the picture to beat like nothing that i could, like there's a lot of good stuff coming out but everything i'm that i know that's coming out i'm like how are you going to contend with this cuz i think you talked about it when we talked about Christopher Nolan was that this is his biopic film this one is going to get past all the craziness of the academy you know award people going well it's a sci-fi film we're not going to really award it like this is a biopic it's going to allow them to vote for it And
1: finally give him his best picture or best director. The Academy loves true stories. Yep. They're hooked. They're hooked on it. And it's done so well. Yeah. And, and this, you know, this is closer. This is not Inception. This is not Interstellar. This is closer to Capote or Lincoln Mm -hmm. in nature. Yeah. You know, this is, this is, this is about the man, but it's, it's got so much more going on visually than Capote or Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Like it's so much more, and those are great films, but this is so much more an engaging picture for the, for the viewer Mm -hmm. than those other two movies because Nolan brings that, that epic nature that he's so good at. And it's not just shooting on IMAX. I mean, he was, he was able to bring this epicness there was no IMAX in Inception you know, it, it's not just the form, film format. He's capable of of making things just feel really, really big mm-hmm. and monumental.
0: I was like, see, so he also had a different DP for Inception as well than he yeah. did for for this. So
1: yeah, but Hoyt, uh, his new guy, he uh, great. he he knows exactly how to to shoot IMAX. Now, I actually read an article today that they only shot they shot most of the movie on two lenses. Mm-hmm. 50 millimeter and 80 millimeter. And they were specialized Panavision lenses, yeah. mm-hmm. really fast lenses that are capable of shooting in really low light. And then they built this, this thing called a, a snorkel lens of snorkel macro, which effectively allows you to shoot really small stuff mm-hmm. for, for some atomic kind of stylized things. Yeah. And so they really, it's basically three lenses which is kind of unheard of, but Hoyt has, this is not his first rodeo shooting IMAX. And they basically realized for IMAX, for that format, shooting your, most of your stuff at 50 millimeter, and then your, your close-ups of the actors in 80 millimeter. That's, that's where the sweet spot is for this format. I was kind of intrigued by some of the lighting because a lot of it felt like a Spielberg film because the windows were all usually like usually you couldn't right. see out a window. It was like blown out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a, that's an interesting choice. So, and cause a lot of Nolan films don't, I don't remember that, you know, having that look and that's kind of Spielberg and his cinematographer, um, whose, whose name escapes me at the moment, but, uh, Oh, Janusz Kaminski, he's known for blowing out windows, just going, they just go white. And that, that, this movie felt like that. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if he, I wonder if he screened Saving Private Ryan again and Schindler's List because both those movies do that. And then Schindler's List is all black and white. So I, I have to, I feel like those films like had an influence on the way this movie looks Mm because it's, it's set in the forties. He's got those black and white scenes that are, those were nice by the way.
0: They were. I, so I read an article. I love the fact that when he wrote the script like this, but like all the scenes that were in color, the script was in first person because it was yeah. from Oppenheimer's subjective view. All the scenes that are in black and white are, were written in third person because they were an objective view of Oppenheimer. Yeah. And so I really liked what he did also again, with his love of playing with time or playing with chronology, that really worked out. It really helped. I also will have to say, if you haven't watched this, there's a couple good podcasts or do a quick read of just Oppenheimer's life and get the basics of it because this movie does move fast. You don't have to. uh, Both Laura and and my buddy Colin who watched it didn't really do that and they were able to follow it, but I did listen to a two-part podcast on Oppenheimer. So it was about I don't know, 90 minutes that talked about kind of his life. And my goodness, it, I was able to keep up really fast. I didn't have any, any points that I needed to know. And like, it was, it was fun to kind of know a little bit more in depth going into it and not having to kind of try to grasp some of those characters or like, who is this in relation to, or where it's at. And really just be immersed in the film and be immersed in what was being presented to me.
1: Yeah, the challenge is kind of keeping up with the, the names
0: mm-hmm. of
1: all of the other scientists that kind of enter Drop and exit now. and move yeah. around throughout the movie. That's kind of where it gets a little bit challenging because they constantly get referred to at different points. And so that, yeah, that, that was a little bit of a challenge. You know, I wanted to get back to performance because you, you mentioned Killian and I, we both feel like he's probably a lock for best doctor. Mm-hmm. I got to think now that Robert Downey Jr is a shoe in now for best supporting. I have a hard time think not thinking that he's got it pretty close to locked up with this performance. Honestly,
0: I would say that he gets the nom. I think Damon also possibly gets a nom for best supporting, but I think out of the two Downey would would win over Damon cuz I think his performance is a little bit more varied. I mean, I love Damon and but and Damon was absolutely freaking fantastic for it and I love the fact that he was not getting out of acting, but taking a long acting break. And he had made an agreement with his wife that I'm not going to do any more project acting projects for a while, unless it was Nolan. And then Nolan calls him and he's like, well, I'm going to do this project because it's Nolan. Yeah.
1: Um, you got to, you you got, got you got
0: to, I mean like it, it, you know, I know also like, uh, I was really surprised to see Josh Hartnett in it because, and I had, you know, didn't know anything really, about his previous stuff, but apparently he was up for Batman begins to possibly play Batman or to be involved in some way.
1: It was, they know. had initial, they had an initial discussion and what happened was Hartnett was more interested in the prestige because mm-hmm. both scripts were floating around. And so it's just the way Nolan works. If you, if you spurn him yeah. like on one, you don't get to do the other. Yeah. So like, and Hardnitz even talked about it. Like I messed up yeah. because he's like, not only did I not get to go on prestige, like in any capacity, Nolan, like, I don't know if this is just circumstantial <laughs> or if Nolan like was sticking the knife, but Nolan cast his girlfriend at the time, which was Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> so like Hardnitz, like, not only do I not get to get in it, <laughs> That sounds like it, you know, my girlfriend gets to be in the prestige and that's, that's Nolan's got a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a streak there of like, know, yeah. oh, really you don't want to be, you don't want to be in this. Well, no, you're not going to, you know, you don't want to be, do begin. So you didn't get past an initial discussion. Um, yeah. He didn't screen test for it or anything. And I enjoyed seeing Hartnett. Yeah. You know, he, his story is interesting and I've always, I've always liked him. Um, you know, they wanted to make him a list guy after black Hawk down. And he just, he just didn't want that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. He didn't want that. He didn't want the microscope, the magnifying glass on him of celebrity. And so he just opted to take off beat roles intentionally. It wasn't, you know, and, and the problem was that town, when you do that, they think that you don't like them or yeah. that you're, better than that or something. And and that's, that's really not what he intended. So it was cool to see him kind of come full circle and get an opportunity. And I thought he was really, really oh, was good excellent. in the role. Yeah. In fact, it was funny. I was watching him going, man, I, I actually probably could picture him as Bruce Wayne
0: because mm-hmm.
1: he's big. He's he's six, five, like he's actually bigger than, nice. than Batman's supposed to be. But yeah, it was good to see him on screen again. And, and who knows, maybe, Maybe he's earned himself back in his good graces in Nolan and he, I don't, I can't see him being in the lead in a Nolan film. But then again, I never would have predicted that Killian Murphy would be the lead in a Nolan Mm -hmm. film either. So maybe the right project just has to. Hey, at this point,
0: just, you know, be available for Nolan when Nolan calls you up, say yes. And then over time, he'll put you as the lead. I mean, what, yeah,
1: like six or seven movies, right?
0: Well, yeah, I think this is. Killian's fifth or sixth. I think it's a sixth movie. So he's what second to Kane for the amount of movies that he, that he's been in with Nolan. Um, I think I this think, is
1: number six. If yeah. I'm not mistaken. And I
0: think Michael Kane has eight that he, yeah. that he's been in. So yeah. um, I was very surprised that, that Michael Kane didn't show up in some form or fashion because I don't know he, what
1: Michael Kane's health situation is right that's now. That's true.
0: Cause I know, cause like obviously he wasn't technically in Dunkirk as, but his voice was. And so he got a credit. Yes. So he was like, so it's like, he's still involved in like, maybe like he's the, he the spitfire
1: radio control operator. Yeah, right? Ex- yeah. yeah.
0: And so it's like, so he's still involved in somehow. I mean, th- so it's gotta be a health thing at this point. But yeah. so, uh, I was, I mean, I was happy to see Damon, uh, in it. I love And we Matt won't Damon. give away
1: the camp. We won't give away that one cameo, uh, which, which was great. See
0: that, that one, I think I know what you're talking about. That one cameo was the one that like threw me out the most. I was like, really? Like, uh, I mean like, okay, but really like, like, whatever. Like, but it, it, (laughs) it, this definitely is a good group of actors who are just doing a fantastic job. Like a lot of them are at their peak. Um, I think like, uh, like Emily Blunt does a fantastic job in her role. She's just such a
1: strong female mm-hmm. actor like she just always you can't you know she's capable of playing a more vulnerable character I mean she's a great actress but this this role demanded you know a stronger stronger persona well,
0: and and not in strong in like hat like I'm woman hear me roar kind of a no, situation no, 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 no. but very much like reserved but like a broken very broken and flawed but resilient yeah but resilient, but resilient into, yeah. yeah but she had to deal with her issues like this cast just brought it like it's I am just yeah so high I
1: impressed. love I love hearing Matt Damon and um even even Killian talking about how intimidating uh Jason acting opposite Jason Clark was <laughs> <laughs> it's the best thing ever like it, they they're like he, we know we're acting it's just a movie but Just the intimidation factor with him. He's like,
0: he's fantastic. I mean, I've really liked him. Like, I think the main one that I saw him in that I kind of what peaked up was when he did Zero Dark 30 and really liked him in Zero Dark 30. And I've since seen him in other things. And I just think he's great. Like, I don't know if he'll be able to, because he is definitely getting a little bit older, whether he's going to get into that leading role. Um, you know, actor for like major, like major movies. But I think he could definitely handle it. Like, because when he was in that scene, when they're talking the group scene or whatever, like obviously that's, that's his goal. But my eyes are on him. Like he's just stealing that scene. He's always commanded the camera. Yeah.
1: I've been a huge fan of Clark since he did um, a TV show called Brotherhood opposite Mm. Jason, Jason Isaacs. Oh, they play, they, he's a, it's a great show. It only ran for like two or three seasons. And I, I don't know if it was HBO or Showtime, but Clark's like a crooked Rhode Island politician. And then his brother is, is Jason Isaacs who's um, basically Irish mob.
0: Hmm. And wow. it's also fantastic.
1: Yeah. They're both great, but he, he kind of caught my eye then. And that's, that's been a long time. That was like, Oh, seven, Oh eight, I think is when that show ran. So yeah, I don't, they've, You know, he did, what he, didn't he do like one of the Planet of the Apes sequels? He
0: did. um, So they've tried to
1: kind of make him a leading guy and the box office numbers just haven't really delivered for him to continue doing that stuff. But he's always really good. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And even in Planet of the Apes, he wasn't the main character. Like he was definitely a uh, supporting character in that. I mean, he was one of, I don't know, like I, I only watched it once, but I remember him being, you know, more prominent. Supporting character or an ensemble, you know, a uh, character for for that. But yeah, he like that. Obviously, that's not a great, great picture. But obviously, Nolan saw it and was like, You can bring something, and I'm going to pick you because, or unless you audition for it for somehow. But usually, with those kind of major roles, Nolan doesn't really let you audition. He just basically says, um, I want you to come.
1: Like, as you read that, apparently, that weird script that's like, red paper with black yep. text it's really yep. hard to read and he sits there with you while you read it yep and you don't get it's to take wild. it anywhere
0: you you, no. you stay in that locked room he's so smart it. for doing that
1: I, oh yeah he's so smart for doing that and that that computer he types his scripts on is not tied into the internet so mm-hmm. like it can't be it can't be hacked it can't yeah yeah, the guy. The joke, though, Downey Junior. is like, "Oh, this guy lives like it's eighteen forty seven. No, no cell phone. Like, but it works like, for him, though. Why? Like, like, what is? What does he need
0: it for? You know, it's no. Like, it's not like he's yeah. calling for people. Like, he's. Well, I mean, he no, calls for people. It, the unsung hero
1: them. in all this is, for sure. And I want to bring attention to her. Is Nolan's wife and producing partner? Hmm. Yeah, because she's Emma. done she's, yeah, everything.
0: Everything. Everything with him.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, is it Emma Thomas?
0: Yes, Emma Thomas.
1: Or she Thompson. is, or I'm Tom telling Thomas. you, man, she's something else. Like, they're a team. They're they really are. Like, he, you know, he writes and directs, but producing's tough work and She's kind of a totally underrated film producer.
0: Well, and there's a reason why producers get the Oscar for best picture and not directors. Yeah. Cuz they're really the one. I mean, obviously Nolan is a producer as well, but but you yeah, don't he is. if the director's on a producer, he doesn't get the Oscar for best picture. The producer's do cuz they're yeah. the ones really kind of the true oversight on the entire film.
1: By the way, producing is what I should have, the track that I should have selected for film school instead of, uh, I think I started as directing and then went back to editing, but the yep. producers, cause they do that. They do that wonderful, uh, Hollywood budgeting <laughs> 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 and they always seem to get paid more than everybody else. Yeah. And, uh, now and it, that's now what we're dealing with, with the dual, uh, dual strike.
0: Yeah. So. And had you been a producer, you would have, you know, would have put me in everything since we're friends. You would have been like, all right, we're going to do this project, but now it's got to be some random character. Like, well, like you'd be like Sam Raimi and I'd be, oh, what's the, uh, what's his name that's in everything? Bruce Sam Campbell? Raimi? Bruce Campbell. I'd be Bruce Campbell. Like, I'm okay Bruce with that. Bruce
1: Campbell is right? a national treasure.
0: <laughs> he is. It's fantastic. I'm sad that he doesn't get more yeah. no work. But yeah. I'd be I'd be Bruce
1: Campbell for your Sam, you know,
0: for yeah. your Sam Raimi. There, maybe but,
1: there's still time, but no, I'm, I'm not going into producing. <laughs> uh, not in any sort of large large format. But you heard it here, so, fo- yeah. here,
0: folks. Give him a producing job and you'll get me
1: as yeah. a, as an actor. It's package. It's a package deal. Pa-
0: done. Done. Package do deal.
1: It. Yeah. This the cast is cast kind of feels like a dream team mm-hmm. kind of deal.
0: I mean even the like the the small characters, the people that you know like actors I don't really know are fantastic in it. Just Doom now, how do we A.
1: pronounce Aldrin's last name? I, I'm not going to say I. OK, OK. So he was tremendous. Yeah,
0: And I love him. Like, I'm I feel so bad for him, how he was treated for doing solo that when he I didn't know he was in this. Like, I didn't really look I at the cast either. list. And so when he popped up, I was I got super excited because I'm like, you are great. All of the hatred that is has been put on you because of solo or whatever is Terrible and those people are dumb because you were great and you brought it for solo and he brought it for this as well. Like, just how he handled it, the conversations that he had with Downey. How, oh, I, I mean, I don't like, I again try not to spoil things, but some of his ending lines were just delivered like I couldn't, they're delivered perfectly. Like, that kind of an indignation is just so like. Over it all. Like we did a great job. You
1: know, yeah, Alden's great. I mean, and nothing will kind of help do a career bounce back like showing up in a Nolan film, especially Mm -hmm. one of this caliber. Yeah. When you, you know, walk in a room and you're acting opposite Killian Murphy and he's giving the kind of performance that he gives as Oppenheimer, which is, you know, kind of a a once-in-a-lifetime performance. Mm -hmm. It just forces you to to only bring your a game. And that's what everybody's done. Even for the characters that just show up for a few minutes. Yep. There's no, there's no like tone deaf performance in, in this movie. Everybody feels fully realized. Even if they only show up for a few minutes, it doesn't feel like this cardboard caricature. They, yep. they feel like they feel like legitimate real people. Yeah. Um, and the thing does, it just moves. It's a roller coaster. Mm-hmm
0: like listening to the podcast about his life, I wouldn't have walked in thinking that it was going to be this roller coaster or how Nolan did that tenseness. Like his life doesn't really feel that tense. And like, I mean, obviously there's moments like the Trinity test, those kind of things, how he was later in life. Those felt tense, but they does such a good job of be, doing that build each and every, almost every moment of kind of just rushing you through it and, punching this all into three hours. So
1: I saw an article that was claiming Nolan was making Oppenheimer this like heroic figure. And I was like, did we see the same movie? Yeah. Because this is a, this is a super, super flawed protagonist. And I think, I think a good protagonist should be flawed, but the classic Hollywood framework says that they shouldn't be this flawed. Mm-hmm. generally. Yeah. And he is, he's a really super kind of flawed and broken character. Um, and it just lends credibility to adapting from the source material that, mm-hmm. that he wasn't, that no one's not going to pull pull any punches here. This feels different. This doesn't feel like the classic Hollywood biopic. It, it's it feels like a departure in some ways from what we usually get, mm-hmm. which is kind of a fairy tale version of what really went down. And this thing's really rather raw and gritty. Yeah, even the way it's shot and then the sound design is has a rawness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong; the th- the thing definitely looks. I think mean, it looks beyond its budget. The budget was a hundred million. I think it looks like more like 150. I'm gonna say 100 million. And then he shoots it in 57 days. I mean, he's a madman. Yeah. For him to make it for that amount and then get what he gets on the screen, but there is a rawness to it. There's a. It's not that it's unfinished. It's fully realized, but it. It's not. It's got jagged edges. Is that Mm -hmm. the best way I could describe this movie? It's. It's got.
0: It's not. It's almost like it's not polished. Like it's mm -hmm. create. It's created. Like the 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 statue or whatever has been created, but it hasn't been smoothed over. Like mm-hmm. you get all of the good parts as well as the warts, as well as the imperfections. But I think that's done on purpose. I don't like – like we've talked about this with Nolan. Like, like I don't think this is something that he did just to rush it out or to get it done. I think this is 100 percent – he purposely wanted it to feel rough because of so much of the issues with – Oppenheimer's life of all of the flaws like let's just not make Oppenheimer flawed let's like let's have the movie have some flaws to kind of accentuate Oppenheimer's flawed like especially because a lot of that roughness is in the kind of first person subjective view of the, in the the colored portions of this movie like I would say some of that roughness goes away in the black and white like it's a lot you know cleaner and crisper because that's much more of the objective third person.
1: I kind of get curious, like how many, how many years has he been really marinating on this? No one. Cause this, if you know, this feels like, Oh, he, he writes the script really quick. They go into production. But the reality is cause how old is American Prometheus?
0: It's old. So, uh, so what I read was that it was Robert Pattinson who gave him the book American Prometheus, but it was also because he had an interest
1: in Oppenheimer before that. Though. Yes.
0: Well, that's, and that's why, because so um Pattinson was reading the book about Oppenheimer, found out, found out that um, Nolan had an interest in him and said, Hey, here's the book. So obviously he was already thinking about it, but I mm-hmm. think once he got the book after tenant, I think that's when he went into okay overdrive for writing the script.
1: But I, I guess it almost predates that because one other thing I read that I thought was of value was that he had, uh, when he wrote a biopic about Howard Hughes and he really did it as an exercise because Scorsese was coming out with the aviator at the same Mm -hmm. time, but he wanted in his dream casting, he basically wrote it specifically for Jim Carrey. said it would have basically been like a a role that Jim Carrey was born to play, but he wrote the script and this, no one will ever see the script, but he's, he kind of got it out of his system, but I'm, he basically said that a lot of the things he had floating around in his head regarding that undone Howard Hughes biopic enabled him to move more quickly producing this.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. He got kind of figured it out. And this was a, a, essentially a second biopic. So he didn't have to worry too much. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So practical effects, obviously there's not a whole lot of effects in this movie. Except for one really major point, mm-hmm. or at yeah. least one kind of time period, but I gotta say, like the fact that they are able to simulate a nuclear explosion using conventional weapons, like, how, like how how do you go about doing that? Like that's just like absolutely ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and I and I've I don't want to spoil anything, but. There, there have been some people that were underwhelmed with the way that all played out. I rather enjoyed it. And, and this, yeah, I know you can, I know, I know I should stay off Reddit. I should stay (laughs) off Reddit, but I don't, I mean, I don't agree. It's done, it's done differently than I think I probably would have done it. It's, it's, it's far more impressive. Mm -hmm. And that other moment scared the crap out of me in the theater. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot going on there with conventional explosives and different things, techniques he had, but I think there's some other, you know, there's some other tricks of the trade going on as well, but the, just as impressive is, is that subatomic kind of stuff that they do in the movie as well. And that was done kind of the old fashioned way with like water tanks and basically the way they used to do clouds, you know, they, in movies, they would shoot in the Cloud tank, we used to, they demoed that for us in, in film school. They had the the big aquarium with you drop milk mm-hmm. down into it and film it. And you'd get, you know, well, how they basically did clouds in movies for decades uh, before CGI. So you have that sort of kind of technique going on. But yeah, his insistence on, on shooting in cameras is kind of wild. Now there is a lot of, there's a lot of compositing the visual effects team list in the credits is not very long. And people were accusing him of like leaving out a bunch of artists. And it's like, no, that's, that's not what happened. They, there's, you know, there were probably 30, 40 compositors and that's, that's what you you need. need. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you need. So
0: I, I mean, this is not interstellar. This is not inception. This is no. he's not, he's not afraid to
1: use CGI. He's done it in the past. I mean, there's, there's tons of like green screen work that they did for dark night means mm-hmm. I he's not afraid to do it when he has to do it. But for something like this, you're yeah. shooting in 70 millimeter IMAX. If you can get it in the frame, let's just do that way. Yeah. Exactly. And we've, we've t- spoken to that ad nauseum that it's just, they're starting to give this pushback. Cause if I feel like the CGI just gets worse and worse every year in movies, Mm-hmm. Cause they're outsourcing more and more of it and they're, and they're paying less and less. And so the, end, and they don't care how good the end product is. So if somebody goes and watches the movie, they already paid for a seat in the theater. They don't care whether the viewing experience is good. They already got you in there.
0: Yep. So and they got their money.
1: I, uh, I appreciate his pushback on that. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. and we've already talked about how practical effects stand the test of time way better than CGI anyways. So, I mean, good practical effects, obviously. You can do practical effects really badly, but you can do CGI really badly, too.
1: But yeah. We won't beat you over the head with the IMAX screening. If you've got one near you, great. And don't obsess whether it's 70 millimeter IMAX. There's only 30 of these things worldwide. Um, you're just not going to. No. And hell, our our friend Vlad called me up at 11 o'clock the other night <laughs> with a debate with a friend. Shout out to those guys, Vlad and Ethan, (laughs) who I think were coming out of a second viewing or something of Oppenheimer. And, and Ethan was getting ready to go to a third screening later that week. Oh yeah. He was obsessed, but, but they had both seen it in 70 millimeter IMAX and, you know, Vlad preferred the, the Dolby cinema. Really? Interesting. He did. He did. He's, he's, he felt like this, he felt like it was easier to understand the dialogue in the Dolby cinema than it Hmm. was in the, and it, I, I got to chalk it up to newer, probably newer speakers in the Dolby and, and better placement than IMAX. Cause IMAX is really meant to overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. Now
0: I will say this def- definitely didn't suffer like the tenant feeling no. of, I couldn't understand no. what's going
1: on. I there thought was a the couple- mix was fine.
0: Yeah. There was a couple moments that I was just like, could understand it. But I think that was poignant, like, per- like purposeful of there's just so much going on. Like you're more get the feel of what's happening as opposed to knowing exactly what's being said. And I could, and I could understand it. it wasn't like some attendant where it was just like, wait, I have no idea what the majority of just was said between those people. But
1: yeah. And I didn't think he would pull a tenant and he didn't, but he also didn't. I think, I still think the modern viewer gets caught up in thinking they need to hang on to every single word of dialogue Mm -hmm. in a Nolan film. And he doesn't do that. No. He can make you feel the way he needs you to feel if you only get about 70% of what's going on. You know, it's not the kind of film that you have to stay with every last stinking piece of dialogue. Yeah. Cause the, what's going on is, is pretty clear to process and, but it is, it is a wordy. I was kind of taken aback, frankly, how talky it kind of got, but And I wasn't sure that that was entirely necessary. Um, but I don't have a bunch of complaints with this film. I, I I'm not really willing to call it perfect yet, but no, uh, like we said, I, I want this to marinate and you know, I, I definitely need, I need another theatrical viewing. I agree. I think one more, this is not going to be one I'm going to put on a bunch at the house.
0: This is not an interstellar inception.
1: It's just kind of not, no. and that's okay. That's okay. These these heavy movies, heavy themes, they don't need to be put on repeat. That's not, you know, that's not what. It's not necessary. No. So it's, it, but I will say it is entertaining. Like it, it's not that it's not entertaining. It's just kind of beats you up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt audibly. With the sound design, I've kind of felt like assaulted, yeah. <laughs> like not, I mean, like, I don't want to use that term lightly. It was as close to, you know, psychological, emotional kind of getting beat over the head as I think yes. you could probably pull off in a movie. And it was done with the sound design.
0: Yeah.
1: And I've spoken to other people that felt the same way. So I, there was one person said they, there at one moment, they almost felt like they needed to walk out.
0: Hmm. Well, like I said, and Laura needed to put her hands yeah. over her ears and almost was like, and we know the scene.
1: Yeah. We know the scene. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There so. were, yeah. Yeah. So, man. Something else. Something else. Well,
1: Oppenheimer. Or as we've been referring to in the office, Poppenheimer.
0: Poppenheimer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> A popcorn tail. <laughs> <laughs> A, a moment, moment of okay. levity a for a very heavy
0: movie for a very heavy movie. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. You have any parting thoughts on, uh, on this latest epic from Mr. Nolan?
0: Um, yeah, this is hands down. While well, I, I think every movie should be seen in the theater. This truly is one of those movies that does benefit from seeing in the, in the theater. The imagery and also the weight of what's going on that you're just not going to get on a smaller screen. Um, some of the emotional hits are very visual and will work so much better on that large, huge screen with that big sound that you're just not going to have on your TV. Or even, in your case, your little projector. Like, there's something about that Um that just hits different. I mean, I love going to the theater. I love seeing every movie in the theater, but this is definitely one that I would tell people you need to see in the theater before it goes, you know, and, and, and not so much because of the spectacle, but also because just the beats will hit different, not, not different, but not as hard. I think like you're going to get, like you said, exhausted and you're going to kind of get tired out. Um, watching this movie on the theater that
1: you're not going to have when
0: you, if you watch it on your screen on your TV,
1: the goal is to leave with a, with a different perspective kind of on Mm -hmm. the world and, and the man. And yeah, I think that can best be accomplished on whatever theatrical viewing you've got available to you. And if you got to drive a couple hours for an IMAX, I, I might do that, but I probably wouldn't recommend somebody else do that. No. Um, You see it how you can. And, before it, and I think it's going to be in theaters for a while. I don't know about the IMAX stuff, but I, I just got this sneaking suspicion with the strike and everything that that they're going to give something so, like this a longer stay longer than run. they maybe normally would, which I think yep. is going to be good. I'm, I miss that theater movies used to be in the theater forever. Mm-hmm. So, I oh, got too many. I think this the, the earliest said they said this they would stream this is October, and if great. I had to guess, it, it'd be the end of October. Mm-hmm. So. Do at least for care. the next probably two to three months, it should be available. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking as long as it continues to, to do well, which it has, well, that wraps it up of our hopefully spoiler free. I think we, yeah, we I, did a pretty I wa- good job. I think, yeah, I wanted, I really, we, we kind of pick and choose whether we're going to spoil stuff. And, and this, it was important that we not do that with this movie. It's too, it's too new. It's too important. Mm-hmm. And it's just a hell of a piece of cinema. Yeah. And if you're listening on the audio only, we appreciate you. Put these out every Monday mm-hmm. and then you can kind of keep up with what we're going on, what's going on. And any upcoming, we tease our upcoming episodes on our social media channels, uh, mainly uh, Facebook and Instagram. Occasionally push some stuff out on uh, the TikTok. But we appreciate you listening to another episode of Cinema A to B. This one is one that we had been looking forward to. <gasps> Both this was bait. our most anticipated 23, 2023 movie, and it delivered. Yeah. And then some.
0: I, so. yes. I absolutely agree with that. So. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody.